I'm going to invite Malachi to come up and uh, read our scripture today. Uh, as Malachi is coming forward, you can turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Uh, for the reading of the word, would you please uh, stand as Malachi reads for us? Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. That be the word of the Lord. Thank you, Malachi. Give him a hand. And as you remain standing, let's uh, just say a quick word of blessing over the word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the words that Malachi just read for us from your living word. And we thank you, Spirit, that uh, the words that we heard are a gift to us today. And we do ask, Spirit of God, that you'd help us to see just uh, what sort of a gift they are for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Uh, we call today Vision Sunday. We try to do this um, each each year at some point during the year, typically in the fall, where we just take a Sunday and remind ourselves of who it is that God has called the New Community Covenant Church to be. Uh, we do this uh, for all of our sakes. If you're new, it's important that you know what's important to us, who God has called us to be, what our priorities are. If you've been around for a long time, it's important that we're reminded about our identity, about what our priorities are, about why we do the sorts of things uh, that we do. And so that is today, Vision Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll begin a new sermon and community group series called Into the Depths, where we'll be for a few weeks from the Old Testament book of Jonah. If you're not in a community group, this is a really good time to join one. You can fill out the welcome card in your bulletin or go onto the website, and we'll get you connected really quickly so that you can join a group before this new series starts. My sermon title today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, Who Are You Living For?, who are you living for? Uh, the letter that we just heard read was addressed to the early church in the ancient Greco-Roman city of Corinth. And a city like Corinth made it easiest to live for yourself. 
and for those who were most like you. Who are you living for? A city like Corinth made it very easy to say, I'm living for myself, for those who are like me. Corinth was a gateway city. It had two ports on it to do two different bodies of water so uh, ships could navigate from around the world. There was a massive diversity of languages, of religions, of cultures, of ethnicities. There's huge wealth disparities in ancient Corinth. One percent of the population possessed most of the wealth. There was a huge, what we would call today, lower income population. If you were a sociologist uh, studying Corinth in, in, uh, uh, in its day, you would find, despite its diversities, there were at least five elements in common in the Corinthian culture. There was a rugged individualism. Wealth was the key to status. Self-display was common and acceptable. It was a selfie culture before the advent of iPhones. Competition for honor and boasting was normal. And where you lived in the city was the key to your status. Does it sound familiar? Corinth had very strong social forces that worked to divide and to separate. Social and spiritual forces that made it normal to live for your own good while ignoring your neighbor's good. Who are you living for? Yesterday afternoon, two miles north of here in Bronzeville, a 17-year-old man was shot and killed. As of this morning, we still don't know the young man's name. And by the time his name is known, most of the city will have moved on, will have forgotten about him if they'd ever heard of him to begin with. In a city like Chicago, just like Corinth, it's not only normal for us to live for ourselves while ignoring our neighbors, it's not only normal, it's expected to live for yourself. And of course, any time a society normalizes and encourages self-centered divisions, there will be consequences. Many will suffer while a few benefit. In Corinth, a small minority benefited tremendously from the way the system worked, while a third of the population of the city were literally enslaved. How's it working for Chicago? Let me share just a few kind of snapshot statistics with you about our city. In 2013, the New York Times wrote about a story which showed that in Chicago, the likelihood of living near an area with frequent homicide was 55% if you're African American, 24% if you're white, and 3% if you are Asian. A 2012 story uh, done by NPR, National Public Radio, showed that in 2010, there were 5,574 juveniles arrested on CPS property, Chicago Public School property. Of those, 75% were African American, despite the fact that in Chicago, only 45% of CPS students are African American. In 2012, the Chicago Reader ran a story which showed that in Chicago, the five poorest neighborhoods in our city average roughly 96% African American, while in the five richest neighborhoods in our city, only 3% of the population are black. A 2013 Chicago Magazine story showed that in Chicago, a child who is born poor or lower middle class is most 
likely over the course of his or her life to slide deeper into poverty, while a child who is born into upper middle class or rich is most likely to accumulate even more wealth over the course of her or his life. 2014, the Chicago Sun-Times did an investigative report where they found that there are 20 Chicago neighborhoods where African Americans make up more than 90% of the population. There is no equivalent whatsoever for Latinos, white, or Asian neighborhoods with that share of the population, with that degree of segregation. In those 20 neighborhoods, 34% of the residents live in poverty compared with 20% in other neighborhoods. The median household income in those 20 neighborhoods is 27000 almost $28,000, while in other neighborhoods it's $47,000. And in those 20 neighborhoods, there are 8,739 crimes per 1,000 people compared with 3,739 in other neighborhoods. Who do you live for? I think... In Chicago, we live for ourselves, for those who are most like me. We're not surprised then by the findings of a 2012 Manhattan Institute for Public Policy study which showed that, once again, Chicago is the most segregated city in our country, a reality with clearly devastating consequences. It's overwhelming, yes? It can feel even unprecedented, and yet our Christian ancestors in Corinth faced similar pressures and similar evils. For me, looking at these sorts of statistics begs a question. What should we do? It's a reasonable question, and there are a whole lot of smart and passionate people trying to answer the what should we do question. Some are giving their lives to education, others to reforming mass incarceration, others are looking to political solutions, economic development, supportive family systems. All of these things are important. All of these things matter. What we do, what should we do, is a reasonable question to ask. On Thursday, I'll join a handful of other clergy, some politicians uh, from the city, CEO of Northwestern Hospital, CEO of uh, UFC Hospital, the, pre- the vice president of uh, United Way in Chicago, and we will announce a huge initiative in the Bronzeville neighborhood meant to address trauma, trauma intervention and trauma prevention. What do we do is a reasonable question. What you do, what I do in the face of the reality we live in is important, but... For Christians, that's not the first question we ask. The first question is not, what should we do? For Christians, the first question is, who are we? And if you are new to New Community Covenant Church, then you need to understand that for us, we are always going to begin with the who are we question. Only later will we get to the What should we do question? Why is this? Well, notice what Paul writes in our passage this morning. He says that we no longer consider anyone from a worldly point of view. Corinth was full of divisions, languages, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, class divisions, as I've already mentioned, many different ethnicities, Romans, Greeks, Asians, Jews. They were religious 
uh, distinctions and divisions. There were many temples to the ancient Greek gods. There was a, a new temple for the Roman imperial cult. There was a temple to Aphrodites that stood on the hill overlooking the city, serviced infamously by temple prostitutes. There was a Jewish synagogue. Corinth was full of division. And in this world, in that city, you were categorized as a friend or as an enemy, as worthy or unworthy, based on these many distinctions. This is what Paul calls a worldly point of view. We understand this. Our world works the same way. People are sliced and diced and categorized, put into different camps, as generally as by gender. We've seen it play out this week in the news that one's gender matters significantly on whether or not you will experience violence in this life. And yet, despite living within this society, in this divisive city, this early church, if we read both letters to the church in Corinth, this early church was made up of people from every one of these classes and languages and religious backgrounds and categories. They were all there together, not simply tolerating one another in the room, but learning to love and to live with one another. What happened? What changed? Paul says in verse 16, though we once regarded Christ in this way. He's thinking here of that worldly point of view. We once regarded one another from a worldly point of view, and we once regarded Christ from the same worldly point of view. But once their understanding of Jesus changed, then their understanding of their neighbors also had to change. If Jesus was not simply a failed Jewish Messiah, but was in fact the victorious king of the universe, well then everything and everyone had to be viewed through Jesus and through his coming kingdom. Nothing could be looked at the same way. And so for us, in our city, in our day, As we survey the drama and the trauma that is Chicago, the question that we first ask is not what do we do. The primary questions we are meant to ask is who are we? Who are we becoming? Who are we calling others to become? The question is first about our identity. Why? Because we, like the Corinthian church, are now clear on Jesus' identity. Again, our actions matter. Asking what we do in response to the suffering and injustice around us is normal. It's not a bad question to ask. But all, and listen, all of our sustained actions flow from our identity. It does not matter how strong you are, how passionate you are, how disciplined you are. Eventually, your actions will betray your identity. What you do over time reveals who you are. And so Paul begins with identity and then moves to action. So how does Paul answer this who are we question? In verse 17 he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. When we submit our lives to Jesus, we are given new identities as children of God. These new identities do not erase the cultural, ethnic, and gender distinctions given to us by God. 
Our new identities in Christ take root within these God-given particularities. And, and our new creation identities also root us among a new people. Like the church in Corinth, you and I now belong to God's new community, a community that always must find its expression in a particular place among specific people. It begs the question, though, does focusing first on our identity actually lead to apathy or to inaction? It's a legitimate question. And the answer must clearly be no if we are paying attention to what the Bible has to say about this. Because when God transforms a person through the saving work of Jesus and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the result is always a person through whom God's mission of rescue and redemption advances in the world. We saw this two weeks ago when Jesus welcomed the woman who crashed the Pharisees' party. He forgave her, and then what? He sent her to spread God's shalom. We see it in the mission that we say every week as a community, borrowing from Jesus' language, a, a people given new life by Christ in order to shine together as a city on a hill. And we see it in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Beginning with our identity does not lead to inaction or apathy. Listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 18. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, reconciled our identity, the starting point, and then right away gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And, once again, action. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, once again, action. Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We, action again, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see? Do you see how identity in Christ must always lead to action? If someone claims to be a Christian and yet does not have any fruit, does not have any action in their lives, we, we question not the action, we must go back to what? The identity. Our lives indeed been transformed by Jesus Christ. So let me stop here for just a second. I want to make something super, super clear to you, particularly those of you who are new or new-ish. Being a diverse church is not a gimmick for us. Some of you have been around for a while. You're like, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't still be here if it was. Being a diverse church is not a method for us. It's not a tool to try to get people to come to our church. I want you to hear this very carefully, especially if you're new. We're really glad you're here. We want you to be here. We've prayed for you. And I need you to understand that at New Community, we don't come to church. We don't go to church. At New Community, we are learning to be the church. At New Community, we are learning to be the reconciled people of God, living out of our new identities as new creations in Christ Jesus. Why? 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 Because according to Paul, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. We're not spiritual observers. We're not religious consumers. 
We are ambassadors of the radical message and movement of King Jesus. What is that message? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Our world, as Pastor Michelle reminded us in prayer today, our world is a mess. Our city is a mess. We are reaping the bitter fruit of violence and division that inevitably comes when seeds of selfishness and segregation are sown. But God has not left Chicago without a witness to himself and his salvation. And that witness looks like people who have been reconciled to God through Jesus and who live now and worship now within communities that are reconciling across old lines of division and destruction. Now, if you are not a Christian this morning, I would fully expect you to be skeptical about this claim. And that's okay. I can imagine, not uh, too difficultly, someone saying, Look, you started this sermon with this nasty long list of statistics, and you're saying that the proper response is spiritual renewal and some diverse communities? Yeah. And, and I realize that this, this claim, this Christian response, requires a measure of faith. And that's okay. But what I want to say to you this morning, if you're skeptical about this claim, I want to say to you that it's still a claim worth considering. Why? Because the Christian response to all that is wrong in this world is centered and sustained by the most unique person who ever lived, Jesus Unlike our politicians who whitewash and downplay the evil realities of our day, Jesus was not afraid to call it out. Jesus was not afraid to acknowledge when things are wrong, really, really wrong. But unlike the powers of our day, Jesus was also not willing to pick up the tools of evil to fight evil. Rather than wage a violent war with collateral damage, Jesus chose again and again the way of love, allowing evil itself to run its course over his body before resurrecting victoriously over it. The way of the kingdom of Jesus comes not through force or coercion or manipulation, but through the transformation of our very hearts, of our loves, of our desires. This is why I think it's worth considering a Christian response to all that is wrong in our world. Because Jesus allowed evil to work its worst on his body for us and our salvation. And here's another claim I want to make. It's that our personal identities as children of God and our corporate identity as the people of God is in fact advancing in our world today. In a culture of death, life is moving forward. We benefited tremendously over the past few weeks from a sermon series put together by Romelia called Mending the Soul where we addressed and acknowledged very directly the reality of abuse and violence in our world. 
And, and she did just a, 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 such a great job putting that together. And it was so good to see people coming forward and telling their stories and being prayed for and stepping into new relationships, seeking recovery and healing. I thank God for that. Uh, this week, we got a, an email. I almost said a letter because it was as long as a letter from a woman in our church. And she just recounted for us her history of abuse and the ways that she has experienced being marginalized and put down and overlooked and abused over the course of her life. And then, and then she, she gets to this paragraph, and she gave me permission to read this to you today. After recounting this history, she says, And then I came to church, like many other Sundays. I heard a benediction that shined like the noonday sun. I saw a man yielding the floor, and I saw women being given a voice. I have never had such a deep joy as when that service closed. The anger that roiled around inside was no longer hopeless. The light shining onto my past showed redemption, not wasted pain. This is why your involvement in this church is so important. Those stories don't happen otherwise. Each week we gather and are reminded of who we are and what God through the Spirit is doing in our lives. Each week we are sent to families and neighborhoods and friends and schools and jobs as ambassadors of God's reconciliation in the world. And when a jaded and cynical world questions our hope without any pride, with full humility, we can point to this community, this very imperfect, this very in-process community and say, God is at work among us. Amen? Earlier this year, uh, our church hosted a one-day conference called Chicago Revolution. How many of you were there for that helping out? And we invited our neighborhood to come and participate with us. We had a speaker come in and talk about Reverend King's legacy in Chicago and the challenge for us today. We had a small group sessions, uh, breakout, kind of conversations around it. It was a great day. And one of the really interesting things to me was to notice how many people were surprised when they walked in the room. Because the conference was located in Bronzeville. Do you know what they expected when they walked in the room? Huh? Can I say that? All, yeah, all black people, right, yeah. Because that's how Chicago works, right? Depending on the neighborhood, you're like, I know what it's going to be like when I open this door. And some of you will remember sort of the, the, the crusty Catholic priest on the, on the panel. This kind of old white priest who serves a, a, a black parish, and he said, I thought I knew what I was getting into today. So I walked in, he's like, and there are Latino people here, and there are Asian people here. And he was just like, he was just... And an older man came up to the open mic toward the end, and he said, every day I open my newspaper and I hear stories telling me what is true about my neighborhood, what is true about south side of Chicago. Some of you remember this. He said, how come there's no media here telling this story? And he was kind of like looking at me. He's like, no, seriously, how come there wasn't that? How come you didn't like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't think about that. Look at what he is doing among us. And so I'm asking you, and I'm about to get real, real specific. I'm asking you to participate in God's mission through this church. 
it really doesn't matter how long you've been here. If God has called you to identify with new community, then this is the time to step in. You are an absolutely vital part of how God wants to bring hope to our city. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to close by getting super specific with you, okay? We've kind of done the theological work. Now we're ready to get practical? Okay. I'm going to do three things. What does it look like for us to step into this? First, there's something I want you to understand. Second, something I want you to anticipate. Third, some things I want us to engage in. First, here's some things that you need to understand about New Community Covenant Church. We say our mission every week. You can open the bulletin, and you can see our our identity. You can see our values. All those things are really, really important. I want to share with you kind of three keys to unlock the new community culture code, right? It's like this diverse church. Like, well, how does this work? What's going on? So I'm going to have three things right now to help you understand what, what we're like, what we're about. First, diverse, reconciled community is our one thing. I am convinced, as uh, something of a student of uh, other churches and pastors, that every church can only have kind of one thing that they're known for. You can do lots of different things, but you're going to be known, you're going to have credibility for, for one major thing. I think that's, that's sort of the reality. That's sort of how it works. For us, the one thing is diverse, reconciled community. Amen. That's our one thing. Does that mean that we don't do anything else? No, of course not. What it means is that everything else flows from our identity as a diverse, reconciled community. Why is this so important? Because there needs to be something so distinct, so unique, so compelling about us that when our friends from Chicago step into this room, they go, What? What? So that you and I are forced to explain and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that the only way that this can be understood is if we say, you see, we used to consider Jesus from a worldly point of view, but we don't do that anymore. We know who Jesus is, and so we can't, we can't consider one another from a worldly point of view anymore either. Does that, does that make sense? It's our one thing. Right? So that'll help you understand, like, why are our pastors always preaching about this? Why are we, like, doing racial reconciliation? This because this is our one thing. It's our one thing. Okay? All right? Here's the second key to kind of unlocking the new comm code. Uh, we have a neighborhood mentality with a regional reality. Okay? What does that mean? It means that God has called us to Bronzeville. That this neighborhood matters to this church. God has called us to be present here. But... Because we are a diverse congregation, we know that we're going to be drawing from places beside Bronzeville. That's the reality of the city we live in. If we were trying to be a diverse church and we're only drawing from one neighborhood anywhere in the city, guess what? Wouldn't be all that diverse, right? Right? So this is a tension that we live in. It gets complicated. It can be hard at times. But this is the tension that we live in. We are committed to loving, to caring for, to being submitted to what God has done in this place for generations past. Even while we invite and draw from wherever God wants to send us. It puts us in a unique bridge-building position as a church. Where we have access to people and to relationships and maybe to education and maybe to jobs. Because we're drawing from such a wide area that we can then bring to bear for the good of our neighbors in Bronzeville. Does that make sense? Make sense? A little complicated, hard to kind of fit in a program, but that's the tension that we live in, okay? Here's the last key. What is it? We worship and serve in a manner that reflects our community and our neighborhood, okay? So again, 
trying to kind of get a sense of like how we, why we do the things we do, what it sounds like here on the Sundays, what our priorities are. There's two things going on for us. One is this community, this neighborhood that we live in. For over 100 years, Bronzeville has been a predominantly African-American neighborhood. We need to know that history. We need to honor that history. We need to know what God has done in this neighborhood. Amen? Amen. Gospel music was founded in Bronzeville. We need to know that. Amen? Ida B. Wells used to live in our neighborhood. We need to know that, right? The poets, the, the authors, the politicians. We need to know that history. God has used people in significant ways for the good, not just of this neighborhood, but of the entire city. Bronzeville used to be called the city within a city. How we talk about ourselves, very biblical language, right? So we worship and serve in a manner that reflects that, a knowledge, an understanding, a memory of where we're standing. With wine, it's called, I think it's called ter- ter- terroir, terroir, what is it called? How you say it, how you say it Doug? Ter- terroir? What does that mean? It means that when you drink the wine, you can taste the soil that it came from, right? So that you actually... And that sounds gross, right? But it's like, you kind of know, like, oh, this came from this area, right? It's not just like, you can taste where it came from, right? So someone walks into our church, they're blindfolded. Do they know where they are? Do they know what God has done in this place and among these people for a long time? Or does it just feel like a McDonald's? Does it just feel like a franchise? You could be anywhere. You hear what I'm saying? And yet, because we're a reconciled community, because we're a diverse community, because God has called people from all over the city to belong and to participate here, we need to honor and reflect those stories and those ethnicities and those cultures and their stories as well, right? Right? So again, it's a tension that we live in, but both of these things have to be true for us. Does that make sense? Okay. Those are the three things to understand, three things to anticipate, to look forward to. First, who will be here? Our church is never going to continue growing because we do like an awesome marketing campaign. Right? It's just not going to happen, right? It's never going to grow because we have the most amazing whatever fill-in-the-blank ministry thing just blowing up and you got to check that out. No, that's never going to be us. How will our church continue a healthy, intentional growth so that others are reached? It's by you inviting people to join you here. That's our entire strategy, by the way. That's our whole growth strategy as a church. That's it, period. Bring somebody. Invite somebody. That's how this church has grown over its years, in a healthy, sustainable, intentional manner, maintaining its diversity. We need every single one of us to be asking, who could be sitting right next to me today? Who has God placed in my life who I have some level of influence and credibility with? Could I bring them? Could I invite them? Maybe they're not going to show up to Sunday service, right? Because you have those friends who are like, nope, nope, nope. Maybe they'll come to a community group because it meets in somebody's home, right? Or maybe your community group does a social outing, a social event, you say, hey, why don't you just come, come to that? Come check that out. Like, oh, those are, your, those are your church friends? Oh, okay, okay. Who will be here? Who will you bring? Second thing to anticipate. How will we help our neighborhood flourish? If you're new, over the past four years, our church is four years old, we have done just lots of little baby steps. We found lots of ways to partner with different people in our, organiza- in, in our neighborhood. Other churches, we're going to worship with one of our, our, our friends, uh, a glorious light, in just a few weeks. Uh, we've done uh, different outreach events with different organizations. Our fifth Sunday served that happened last week. We, we do these things very intentionally, right? 
As we look forward, we're going to begin to ask the question, what does sort of a sustained, focused presence for the good of our neighbors look like? So, so as, as we've learned over these past few years, as we've grown, as we've gotten some wisdom on this, as we've gotten some neighborhood partners who can help us discern our calling here, we're going to be asking more and more specifically, what does a sustained, focused attention for the good of our neighbors look like in Bronzeville? Does that make sense to you? Make sense to you? So we're going to be, we're going to be doing like uh, uh, dives into data. We're going to be figuring out who's already meeting certain needs in our neighborhood. We're going to be looking at the gifts and the skills and the talents that are present here. Do you think it's any accident that we have that many teachers in our church? No, right? So what, in the next year or two, we're going to need your help on that. What is a sustained focus? And that's going to have implications. That's going to have staff implications. That's going to have financial implications. That's going to have building implications. What sort of facility would a church like that need? Do we need a big worship space that's only opened once a week? Maybe not. This is working pretty well for us, right? The rent is great too, by the way, right? So what sort of ministry space might be helpful for us as we're discerning that sustained and focused vision for the flourishing of our neighbors? Does that make sense to you? Last one, last thing to anticipate. What new churches will we help plant? No amens? <laughs> what new churches will we help plant? We've, we've, we've been in existence for four years. It's time for us to begin thinking, what, what new churches can we help plant? Does that mean that we're going to send half the church to go plant a new church? Maybe, I don't know. My hope, my prayer, that God raises up one, two, three other churches on the south side who we get to partner with. Very intentionally, very carefully, very prayerfully, we get to send some people to see a new multi-ethnic church planted in Chicago. We have lots of friends whose churches are, are not diverse like ours, and that's okay. We love them. We're going to work with them. They have a super important role, not just in our neighborhood, but ways to teach us. One of our unique gifts and abilities is to see other diverse, multi-ethnic churches planted in our city. That makes sense? Okay, that's it. Last one. Um, things for us to engage with. Are you still with me? Still with me? Okay. I told you, getting real practical. Uh, here are now, just to end with, are six things that every one of us can be doing all the time. All six of these things. Okay? These will not be overwhelming to you. Relatively straightforward kinds of stuff. Uh, but as we kind of look real big picture, I need to bring us back down and say on a regular basis, on a regular basis. What does it look like for us to engage in the mission and the vision of this community? So that's what this is here. First, be reconciled to God. (laughs) Without this, we got nothing, right? We already, I think we already made the case very clearly that unless our identity is being transformed by Jesus Christ, we will not have what it takes to, to, to sustain our actions in our city. You will burn out. You will absolutely quit. You will move somewhere more comfortable. It will absolutely happen, I promise you. But what if your identity is being transformed by Jesus Christ? So that you're not having to try to love your neighbors, you love your neighbors. So that you're not trying to be selfless, you just actually are learning to love other people as much as you love yourself. Right? This is what it means to be reconciled to God. Some of us need to just come back to that. Others of us need to step into that for the first time. You've never, you've never stepped into that reconciliation with God. You've never said yes to submitting your entire life to Jesus and being submitted to God and therefore to one another. That invitation is in front of every one of us today. Amen? Amen. Second thing to engage with. Live like you'll be here forever. Some of you have heard me say that before. This is an important one for me. Some of you are like, well, yeah, of course. I'm going to live like I've lived here forever because I have lived here forever. And so did my parents and so did my grandparents. Cool. Great. We need you. 
Uh, but I would say at least half of our congregation, in the back of your mind, you have this voice that says, ah, I'm here for a little bit. I'm here for a little bit. You see yourself as a transient, as someone who's here for now and someday will be somewhere else. And I'm asking you, if New Community is your church home, to live like you will be here forever. Does that mean that you will be here forever? Not necessarily. (laughs) What was that? Sorry, I'm not sure. Is that Siri? Is that a prophetic word from Siri? All right, let's roll with Siri. We can live like we're going to be here forever, even though we don't know if we're going to be here forever. That was actually the point I was going to make, I promise. God scatters people. God calls people. God sends people. Look, we've prayed for a lot of people in our church who's been called even just this summer, right? So we know that that happens. But there is a difference from being surprised by the call of God to go somewhere else and living with one eye always at the back door. Completely different posture with massive implications about your involvement in your neighborhood, in your school, in this neighborhood, building community, right? You get the connection, right? Live like you're going to be here forever. Third, commit to community again and again. Commit to community again and again. Because we talk about communities are one thing quite a bit, for us, it's, it's not a sexy thing. It's not a glamorous thing. Like, it's tough. Amen? It's, just, it's complicated. It's messy. It, we get, you get let down. You get your feelings hurt, right? It's just normal stuff, right? You think you're having one conversation. You realize, no, we're having a totally different conversation here. What is going on? Someone hurts your feelings. Someone leaves. On and on and on. Community is tough. The letter to the church in Corinth, first and second letter, you see this over and over and over again. These are people who used to hate each other. Now they're loving and and worshiping one another. So Paul, over and over and over again, has to say, remember what you're called to. Remember who you are now. And so I'm asking you to commit not just to the idea of community, but commit to participating in the life of community. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. The natural flow of our society is not going to pull you into deep and meaningful community. Right? There is no natural bend that is just going to let you slide into wonderful, deep, profound relationships where you're sustained and nurtured and held accountable. That will never happen. So you and I must commit to it again and again and again. Amen? Fourth, fourth, serve the church regularly. I know, not rocket science, pretty basic stuff. Our expectation as new community is your church home is that you are finding a place to serve the people around you on a regular basis. Pretty straightforward, right? You've heard it said sometimes that some churches are 10% of the people who do 90% of the work or something like that. That's never been the case at new community, and, and, it, and it cannot be the case for us. Right? We want Sundays to be a life-giving, nurturing time. We want Sunday service to be kind of nestled within an overall day of Sabbath of worship and rest for you. And so we need every single one of us to find a ministry team where you can be serving on a regular basis. That means like once or twice a month. You're serving with our children, with our youth. You're helping set up. You're learning the tech team stuff. You're on the worship team. You're finding a specific way to regularly serve the people around you. Does that make sense? Okay, next. Give intentionally to the mission of the church. Give intentionally to the mission of the church. Talking about money. Um, 
So from the beginning of the scriptures through the end, we see that to be identified with the people of God is to give God the best of everything that you have, right? Right? Now, I get, like, talking about money, some of us get real uncomfortable real quick. Some of us have had bad church experiences with it where all you hear about is money, money, money all the time. I don't think that's a problem for us, right? Do we talk about money too much in this church? If you think we do, you can come find me afterwards and tell me. I'm pretty sure. I really, I don't like it. I really don't like talking about money. It's not my thing. Do not get excited about it. But, but. Over and over again, we see a link between how we give and whether or not we're looking at those around us from a worldly point of view or not. Do we see the things that I have as mine, that I owned and that I earned? They've been given to me by God for the good of those around me. Am I the owner of these things or am I the steward of them? Does that make sense? So... Real practical, real specific. Throughout the scriptures, the tithe has been 10% of what you make, okay? In the Old Testament, that's real clear. You give that. That's what you do. New Testament gets a little bit more fuzzy because Jesus is concerned not just with what we do, but the state of our hearts, right? So Jesus is concerned not about, like, can I tick off a box? I gave 10%, but is my heart more generous now than it used to be, right, right, right? So for us, when we talk about giving and tithing, we talk about 10% as a great conversation starter, a great way for us to intentionally begin engaging, how am I doing with my finances? Am I living a generous life? Am I living a stingy life? Some of you who are not giving right now, 10%, you're like, I would be in the poorhouse tomorrow for sure. Start with 1%. Seriously. What if intentionally you looked at your income and said, I'm going to start with 1% giving to the mission of this church? Some of you on the other end of that, you're like, yeah, I get 10%. I don't even have to think about it. I just write the check. I just don't even feel it. I don't even think about it. All right, maybe it's time to bump it up to where giving for you is as sacrificial as it would be for that person who's learning to give 1%. Does that make sense? Are you uncomfortable yet? Are you comfortable? Is it okay? All right, last one. Show up consistently to love our neighbors. This This is the last kind of very practical things I'm inviting you to engage with. Given the tension we live in, coming from lots of different places around the city, we have to prioritize showing up to Bronzeville. Right? Some of you live here. It's easy. You can just show up. You already have relationships. Others of us, no, not, not so much. We have to be intentional about it. So that means showing up uh, when we do something with Jackie Robinson. You know, last week with the fifth Sunday, so many of you jumping in and serving throughout the neighborhood. When you hear an invitation to be present in the neighborhood, prioritize it. Confession, I like the idea of belonging to a church that claims to love its neighbors more than I like actually loving my neighbors. Does that make sense? I love being able to say, I'm a part of a multi-ethnic church that's really committed to the neighborhood. Cool. What have you done about that lately? I preached about it. (laughs) That's a temptation for us. Can we admit it? It's it's kind of that slacktivist mentality where it's it's really easy to post it on Facebook. It's a lot harder to actually show up. So show up. Real specific invitation. We want uh, the prayer around the schools that's happening in October. What date is that? The 5th? Someone find it for me? October 4th? We want that to be the largest prayer around the schools participation we've ever had in our church. Okay? So I'm asking all of you to clear your schedules and to be there. I'm not just asking those of you who already have that hour open to come. Seriously, from 9 to 10 on that Saturday, show up. Walk with us around this neighborhood. 
Pray for our neighbors. Pray for these schools. Listen to what God is doing here. Can you do that? Show up consistently to love our neighbors. Okay, I'm not, I, I feel like I've overwhelmed you guys. There's so much information and things, but I want you to get a sense of what God is doing in our church. I want you to get a sense of where God is calling us to go as a church, and I want you to have a, an incredibly crystal clear sense that we move forward together and that every single one of us has a role to play. What are you living for? Who are you living for? We know what it looks like to live for ourselves. We know the devastation of a culture and a city where everyone lives for themselves. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have been liberated not only from the tyranny of sin, not only from the oppression of this world, but also from our own debilitating selfishness. May New Community Covenant Church be a blazing light on a hill. A people whose new identities in Christ have set us free to live for God and for our neighbors. May the reconciliation that we know spill from us into the divided streets and the neighborhoods of our city. May the glory of God flow from us into the city as waters cover the earth. Amen? Let's pray. And so I ask now specifically, Holy Spirit, if there are any ways that you are calling us to step into the mission and the vision of this particular congregation, that you would be uh, calling that out of these women and men now. Uh, That rather than just kind of sit back and hear about this vision and maybe be excited about uh, what is happening in general terms, that we would specifically hear, this is how I can step in. This is how I can participate more meaningfully. This is how I can more closely identify with this reconciled and reconciling people. God, we, um, we, we are grateful that we get to be a part of it. And um, for some of us, the past is not very far away. And we can remember what it is to be in the midst of divisiveness and isolation um, and loneliness and even hopelessness. That's not a theory for us. We can still kind of taste that a little bit in our memory. And so we thank you that you have uh, seen fit and seen good to call into existence this people here and to give us a spiritual home, to give us uh, women and men who are learning to love us and care for us and hold us accountable and nurture us and speak the truth to us. We ask now, as we look forward uh, to this fall and to next year, that you'd be showing us what does it look like for the work that you've already done among us to be uh, visible for your glory and for our neighbor's good? What does it look like for New Community Covenant Church more and more in Bronzeville and Chicago to exist so that you get all of the glory and so that our neighbors will experience your goodness? We need your help in that. So help us to be obedient. Help us to be courageous. Help us to choose faith over fear every single time. 
I thank you for these uh, women and men. I thank you for this community. Thank you for what you have already done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Just put your hands together real quick for what God has done for our church. It's good. We're going to receive the offering here in just a second, so I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to go ahead and come on forward. Um, And uh, as they're coming forward, I want to kind of talk about tithing already, so not a lot about that, but I want to say thank you for being generous. Uh, Last week, we canceled our Sunday worship service. Many of you were out in the neighborhood serving. Some of you were at Jackie Robinson. You were cleaning up the garden beds. You were weeding. You were getting that just looking great uh, for the students coming back. Others of you divided into two teams, and you were up at the... um, uh, at the storage units for the teen living programs for the Bronzeville Youth Shelter. Um, you're going to hear an, an update um, about how important that was uh, to, the, to the youth shelter in a couple weeks. But your service was incredibly, enc- not just emotionally encouraging to them, it was financially encouraging to them. Uh, you're helping them redirect some uh, money toward programming in our, in our neighborhood so that um, more youth can be served by what they do. That's a big deal. Um, we are able to do those kind of things because you're a generous people. We, we didn't take an offering last week. We just didn't have an offering because you were out in the neighborhood serving. Um, we, we had funds available uh, to, to make that kind of work happen. So, so just thank you for being a generous church, and please, please keep at it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for our offering, and we'll continue to worship. Uh, Lord, um, allow this few moments now to be a part of our worship. Help us to not just kind of sit back and disengage, but to, whether we're giving uh, today or have given online or um, are just thinking about uh, the things that we've heard this morning, help us to realize that this is a part of our worship together. Um, uh, There's not a separation between kind of what we're doing with our heads and and our mouths during the service and what you've given us to steward. Um, So receive honor and praise um, even during this time um, of receiving uh, these gifts from this generous people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the benediction in the verses immediately following our passage today. Paul goes on to write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. Do you know that? God heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now. Now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And the church said, amen, amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.